text is short. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. This is the word of God. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Will you pray with me, friends? God, only you can take this day and make it something that changes our lives. Only you can free us from sin. Only you can change the way that we think so that we will think and behave in ways that please you. Only you can bring dead hearts to life. Only you can save souls. Only you can make this preaching of your word your actual speaking to your people. But I pray, God, I pray that you will set aside everything that would distract us Help us lay aside every weight that would hinder and speak to us in your word for your glory. That is our deep, deep desire and our desperate need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We are trying something new for the people who are watching us online, so if you people online aren't getting sound, you've got to let Mitzi know right away so we can try to fix it for you. Join my cause. Like my post. Share this article. Take part in my rally. Give to my organization. Come with me. Wouldn't you guys agree that in our society, perhaps now more than ever, people are defining their value and your value by association? With whom do you associate? What virtues do you signal on your social media posts? What flag do you put on your desk at work? What hat do you wear? What bumper sticker do you put on your car? What group will you hang out with on the playground is what it feels like, wouldn't you say? There is a tremendous amount of pressure in our present society for you to prove that you are on the right side of history by joining with groups, with organizations, with causes that some people have determined are necessary for societal change. But the powerful pressure on parties to partner with groups and causes is not a new thing. In the book of Revelation, we see persecuted Christians urged to compromise in their immunity in their compromise in, in, in their beliefs. Just, just, just a little bit in my community, right? Just make this one sacrifice, they would tell some of the folks in the churches in Revelation. Just make this one little sacrifice and we will let you live. More dastardly, sign off on receiving the mark of the beast and we will allow you to buy and sell in our society. For some people in history, the pressure was to burn incense to Caesar for some, it was to take part in a debauched celebration at the Guildhall. And for some people, 
It has been to join your co-workers at the strip club if you really want to be in with the part, with the group that's making stuff happen in the company. Last week, in Ephesians 5, 1 through 7, we heard the call from God to love like Jesus and to battle against the temptation towards sexual immorality. And as that message closed, we saw what we read here in verse 7, that we are not to become partners with the world. We are not, and oh goodness Christians, if, you're, if you've already checked out, start here. We are not to be united with the world in its values. We are not to adopt the world's priorities, its strategies, or its causes. Yet there are certain times that you and I can stand shoulder to shoulder with the lost when they are, by the grace of God, seeking a thing that is biblically right. But we must not partner with the world when the world seeks to do away with the word and the ways of the Lord. In our text for this week, which I'll be honest with you, just, just me and you, we're not, we're not going to tell the Facebook folks this, just us here. This was supposed to be point one of a sermon that became a whole sermon. So this is actually just part of a really long sermon. But in our text for this week, and hopefully what we'll get through next week, the Lord is going to encourage you and me to walk in the light of God. Walk as children of light. And walking in light calls us necessarily to battle against the darkness of the world and the darkness of the world's ways. This text is timely. The thought is important. The call is important. So I want you to be ready to hear the words, the, the, the Lord's word and, and obey. The way we do this, I'll give you a few points you can write down if you're a note taker. How many of you are note takers, by the way? Well, Eric is. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I want you all to know that Eric Toomey is now the teacher's pet. Uh, and he should be, right, Eric? Amen. But no, I'm going to give you three points to write down. We're going to look only at verses 7 and 8, but it's going to send us to review the book of Ephesians for a key theme that's really important. So here's the first point, which is really the main theme of everything. Remember your new identity in Christ. Remember your new identity in Christ. And it's verses 7 through 8. I'm going to read them again. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Okay, I want you to imagine that you and I have just sat down for lunch in a restaurant. And you don't know me. You don't know me. Again, some of y'all, and by the way, I'm so glad you're here. Some of y'all are new. You don't know me. So believe this first part. See how it goes. I'm going to let you know who I am. I am, I'm telling you at our dinner, one of the world's foremost experts on nutrition. Oh, stop. I fill you in on the fact that I am passionately committed to my health. I only put into my body that which is fuel for my strength. <laughs> Crystal, <laughs> aren't you in quarantine? <sighs> now, before I finish telling you about my commitment that I have to my health, friends, the server comes to our table to take our order, 
and you hear me ask for the Monte Cristo, loaded cheese fries, onion rings, and a chocolate shake. What do you think? One thought I think is going to go through your mind, though it might not be said this way, is that whatever I'm claiming to be, my choices do not match my words. I'm not living up to the identity that I'm claiming. Christian, who are you? And I'm not asking you your name. I'm asking you your identity. Who are you? What makes you who you are? Do the things that you do, the things that you think, the things that you believe, the things that you support, do they match who you claim to be? Does the way that you think about yourself fit in with what God has said about you in his holy word? See, one of the greatest struggles that we face in the Christian life is struggling to make our lives match our identity in Christ. God has told us who we are. And God's words are right. Whatever God's word says you are is true, amen? amen? But often our choices, often our actions, often our failures, would, they would seem to give the lie to what God says about us. Verse 7, Paul says, do not partner with the world in its immorality. If you're part of the community of the saved, you're not supposed to be partaking of the ways and thinking and the behaving of the world around you. But why not, Travis? Why not partner with the world's thinking? What's so bad about being like the world around us? Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we saw that we are called not to live like the world, but to imitate or mimic Christ. In verses 3 and 4, we saw that immoral thinking, immoral behavior are improper for the people of God. Verses 5 and 6, we saw that rebelling against God's standard for our sexuality is a sign of lawlessness. It's a sign of lostness, and it brings the wrath of God on the world. And here in verse 8, we see that we're not to partner with the world, joining them and partaking of their immorality and their immoral causes because we have a new identity in Christ. Do not partner with them because you remember who you used to be and you know who you now are. Remember your new identity and it'll help you not to partner with the world in all sorts of bad ideas, all sorts of sins. That's the main theme for our thoughts this afternoon. And this reminder in the Word gives us an excellent opportunity to see what the Lord has already shown us over the past months in the book of Ephesians. This lets us remember that whoever you were before Christ, however you used to identify yourself, whatever used to be the most important thing to you, once you become a genuine follower of Jesus, you are now something new. The context of this passage, yes, is the discussion of immorality that we saw last week, but I really believe we can do well by taking a broader view here and recognizing that not only in sexual morality, but also in all forms of thought and in all areas of life, we are not to partner with a world that's out there standing opposed to our God. 2 Corinthians 6.14 is a verse some of you know. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with non-believers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Y'all know that that verse means more. It means more than that a believer ought to avoid marrying a non-believer. Now, 
That verse most certainly tells you, if you're a believer, it is forbidden that you marry someone who does not love your Lord and follow the Lord Jesus and is not saved. But our partnerships, it's more than just marriage. Our partnerships, our communities are not supposed to be bound together with the lost world. Because the Bible says there's no true fellowship between light and darkness, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. So what I want us to do right now is we're going to take a look at a powerful two-sided message that God gives us in the book of Ephesians that helps us with our identity. And I want you to flip back in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2 to start with here. Ephesians 2. Because I can't think of a single passage in all of Scripture that more clearly shows us who we were and what God has done in the gospel. And as we look through this chapter, as we skim through this chapter, we're going to see a little bit more than I think you're going to expect. You're going to be called to remember the change in your life as an individual, and you're going to be called to remember the impact of the gospel on all of us as a people. Okay? So, second point. Overall, remember your new identity. Second point. Remember your new individual identity. Remember your new individual identity. And we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which <clears throat> the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That opening is pretty strong, wouldn't you agree? We, the Bible says, before you had Jesus, we were dead. Now, do you all know what the Greek word behind that word dead means? Dead. That's all it means. We were lifeless. We were unable to bring ourselves to life. A corpse cannot respond to stimulation. And we were dead in our sins. We were hopeless before the Lord. In our spiritually dead state, the Bible tells us, we live for three things, according to verses 2 and 3. We followed the way of the world, the very people and mindset Paul tells us not to partner with in 5-7. We followed the flesh, the drives and the desires of our body and our mind. We did what we wanted to do, and we did not do the things God commanded. And we followed the devil here called the prince of the power of the air. And because of all this, we were in line to face the judgment, the wrath of Almighty God. In 5.8, Paul said, for at one time you were darkness. Doesn't that tell you that you were pretty much darkness? Christian, I want you to stop and remember who you were. Remember that you were darkness. This is not to say that you were deceived or confused. If God in his holiness is brilliant, shining light, you and I were the dark. 
You were dead. You followed the world, the flesh, and the devil. You deserved the wrath of God, and you could do no single good thing to earn your way out of that state. That is true for every single person who does not have or ha have Jesus. That was true for every single person before we came to Jesus. And listen, how many of y'all came to faith at a young age? Any, any people come to faith in a young age? Guess what? This is still true of you. A lot of times people say, well, I don't know, Travis. I, I became a believer when I was like six. How dark could I have been? And first of all, I would say, wait till you have kids. <laughs> and you will find out just how dark you could have been. But, no, the, the, the fact is, um, you, you were darkness uh, in, in your mind. Maybe, maybe you didn't do some of the bad things that people do these days, right? Maybe you didn't participate in some, some of the evils, but the fact is, the fact is, the only thing that kept you from being as evil as you could have been was like size and intelligence and opportunity. I, I, I'm certain there have been times when, when little babies get really mad, they'd take us out if they could, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just how this works. It is true for all of us before the Lord. We are born dead. We're born, born guilty under Adam's sin. We're born with a nature that battles against God. We are born without hope unless something brings us to life. We were darkness. So what could ever change it? Look at verses 4 through 7. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Are there any sweeter words in the whole of the Bible than these two words? but God. We were dead, but God made us alive. We followed the world, but God changed our hearts. We followed the flesh, but God changed our desires. We followed the devil, but God took us as his own. We earned the wrath of God, but Jesus came and took that wrath on our behalf so that God could adopt us as his own beloved children. We deserved hell, but God raised us up with Christ and gave us a home in heaven. We were darkness, but God made us light. So then should we start feeling like we did something good to get ourselves out of the mess that we were in? I must be a pretty good guy. I went from death to life. I became light. I must be a good guy. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. If you are darkness, you lack the ability to make your own light. And if we become children of God, it is only because of the working of God all who are saved are saved by God's grace, which is a gift that cannot be earned. We enter into that grace through faith. 
We don't get the grace of God through works. We don't get the grace of God by performing religious rituals. We do not get the grace of God by taking into ourselves some sort of holy blessed object. Only the grace of God brings us from a state of being lost to a state of being saved. And all of this process, Paul says, the grace and the faith, it's all lumped into one, is a gift from God. And God is clear that he did it this way so that no sinner could ever boast that he or she contributed anything to our eternal life. We did the sinning. God did the saving. He gave us grace through faith as a gift. Well, yes, we believed, of course. But the belief is the result of a gift from God. Not, it's the result of the gift, not the cause of the gift. So what is to be our state once we are saved? In Ephesians 5, 8, Paul said, At one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And here's what he says in this glorious passage in Ephesians 2. For we, verse 10, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are new creations. We are now God's workmanship. We are God's works of art, is what that Greek word means. Now, do you all remember when I taught you guys that we were at the school and I made you look around and see that every, you know, just look at these people, they're all works of art? Some may be more abstract than others, but God has said we are his works of art in Christ. He created us as works of art in Christ. Only in Christ, only through Christ can you go from darkness to light. Only in Christ, only through Christ can you go from a devil follower to a God glorifier. Only in Christ, only through Christ can you become what you ought to be. And praise be to God, the Lord who planned the salvation of every person who is saved also prepared for us good works that we might do, good things that we might live out long before our salvation because God intends that we walk in his light. He intends that we live differently, not so that we gain salvation, but because of salvation salvation. Now, before we go further, let me stop and ask you, have you been made alive by God? Do you understand what I've been talking about here, right? Have you understood on your own, you're a sinner before God, you deserve God's judgment. That is the state of every single person naturally. Have you found your sin to be a thing that does not satisfy? Have you determined that you can't be your own master anymore? Have you turned away from sin to cry out to God for mercy? And let me ask specifically about Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is God's own son who took on flesh to purchase our salvation? Do you know that Jesus is the only person who ever lived a perfect human life? Do you know that Jesus died as a sacrificial offering to pay the price for all the sins of all the people God would save? Do you know that Jesus rose from the grave and is alive right now? Friends, understand this. Without Jesus, you and I have no hope. But for all who turn away from their sin and put their trust fully in Jesus and Jesus alone, there is life and there is salvation and I invite you right now, 
right where you sit, whether it's in this room or whether you're watching us on this stream that we're doing, in your heart, cry out to Jesus and ask Jesus to save your soul. Admit that you've sinned before God. Admit that you have no hope. Tell God that. Tell God, I, I am hopeless. Agree to take Jesus as your Lord and your master. Make him the ruler of your life. Submit to him because he is a gracious king. Tell him, Jesus, you're my Lord. Believe that your only hope is that Jesus died and rose again as your sacrifice. Say to God, say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, please save me. I trust you and you alone. I give myself to you and you alone. Crying out to Jesus for salvation is a sign that you have gone from darkness to light. And this is what we think about when we think about the gospel, isn't it? Did that not just sound like a nice, thorough gospel that we just walked through? I hope it did. It is the individual dimension of the discussion. But God was doing even more than saving you as an individual. So I'll get the third part here, and then we'll tie things together. Remember your new corporate identity. Some of you that have a bad workplace just cringed, but I'm not talking about your job. Remember your new corporate identity. You see, in the same chapter of Ephesians, in almost the same breath, Paul gives us another impact of God saving our souls. And if you miss this, you miss a key element of this whole book. Look at 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul just shifted the focus from being individually dead or individually alive, and he shows you the great division between Jew and Gentile in the first century. Paul says that before Jesus came, there was a division among people groups, among ethnicities, among, as many people would say today, races. By the way, side note, I do not like using the term race for people of other ethnic groups because race, by definition, implies a fundamental difference. Okay, the only way we're getting new races is if aliens show up. The only race that you are a part of is the human race, children of Adam and Eve. But I do understand that the world around us uses that world to indicate ethnic differences. Now, for the longest time, only the Jews, only physical Israelites, had the word of God to teach them how to find forgiveness for their sins. You guys know that. We call it the Old Testament, right? God, in God's perfect plan, chose one single nation, Israel, to receive God's law and to carry God's promise of bringing the Redeemer into the world. And in that time, in that time, just as Paul said here, Gentiles had no hope. How terrifying is that, by the way? They had no relationship with God. 
They didn't have the word of God. And the few exceptions to this rule, the few Gentiles who found salvation were the Gentiles who happened to come to Israel and who were willing to adopt that new identity in that small nation. And guys, there was a problem. There was a problem with this whole plan. God did it perfectly, by the way, but you know people are. You all know that the Jews didn't like the Gentiles? And the Gentiles didn't like the Jews? It was because for each group of where they came from, it was because for each group of how they looked, how they dressed, how they talked, what they valued. It was because of how each group had mistreated one another at different points in their past. Part of being darkness in Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 is that there was division and enmity between the nations. And the question is, could God, would God, was God going to do anything about this? Look at 13 through 16. Same breath as that big gospel presentation. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both What's the next word? He has made us both. Who's looking at the Bible? Has made us both one. You see that? You do, right? He made us both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what did God do in Jesus Christ? Because again, Christians, what God says about us is what's true, right? What did God do? God brought the far off near. God brought the former enemies together. God took two types of people, two nations, two people groups, two races And he made for himself a new nation, a new people, a new race. What Paul calls one new man. God did not turn Jews into Gentiles. God did not turn Gentiles into Jews. Instead, God created Christians... A new people of God consisting of all people of all ages, of all backgrounds, of all colors, of all shapes, of all sizes, all people who have ever been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And God said this people, this new people, a people no longer identified by their ethnic background, this people is now simply his people, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Flip to chapter 3 real quick. Chapter 3, verse 6. Ephesians 3, 6 says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, 
and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Kind of a fun side note, that word partakers right there is exactly the same word that Paul used in chapter 5 when he tells us not to be partners with the world. Don't be a partaker of the world. We are all to be partakers of the one promise in the gospel in Christ. All right, now, I want you to think with me well, Christians. Which, which is the gospel? Is the gospel the saving of individual sinners, or is the gospel the making of one new people that no longer regards one another by ethnicity or background? Is the gospel you being brought into a family relationship with God, or is the gospel you being brought into a family relationship with every other Christian in the world? What do you think? Which one is it? Yes. The answer is simply yes. The gospel is God forgiving us and making us his children The gospel is God building for himself one people group, one family, one nation of the forgiven in Christ. Now, do not misunderstand me here. I am not running left toward a social gospel. The gospel is the glorious story of God saving sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And we will never add to or take away from that message. But the result of that gospel, the plan of God in the gospel, the mystery of the gospel hidden in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament, according to Ephesians 3, verse 6, is that God is also building a new people for himself. And once Paul points the aspects of this this gospel out, what does he say to us? For the rest of the book, once we see what the gospel is about individual salvation, what the gospel is about building a new people of God, then Paul tells you to remember who you are and to live in such a way that shows that you're something new. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4. Because it's going to show us that the glorious gospel message that we've been hearing about in verse, chapter, chapters 1 through 3 has application. What's the application? Look at this, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, if you're underlining, if you're highlighting, this is something I'm going to keep saying all through the rest of this book because the rest of this book is fleshing this out. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk worthy of your calling. That's what Ephesians is about from chapters 4 to chapter 6. Walk worthy of the calling. Walk like you've been changed by the gospel. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Look at this, look at this. There is, how many bodies according to this? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul says, if you know the gospel, live it out. Come to Jesus. Get under his grace. you got to do that. But then learn to obey the commands of Jesus for God's glory and for your joy. And he says, walk worthy of your calling. And last week we saw walking worthy of your calling. If if you were here last week, you saw. It it means living in purity, right? We don't live in the same sexual sin that the world embraces because we want to walk worthy of the calling according to what God has said. But there's more than just that, isn't there? There's Walking worthy includes obeying the lordship of Jesus Christ. Walking worthy includes being surrendered to the word of God in every aspect of your life. 
That means you live for the worship of God. That means you live not in rebellion against God. It means you live loving all people of all backgrounds for God's glory. You walk in a way that shows the world that you are somebody different. You show the world that you are a follower of Jesus. You make your highest priority the Lord. You make your highest priority the Lord's church. And your connection to any other group out there, listen to me, this is really important. Your connection to any other group is not nearly as important as your connection to the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. Walk in light, not darkness. Then, again, what did I read to us early? Chapter 5, 7, and 8. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Remember your identity in Christ. You used to be a thing. You used to be darkness. You used to be a sinning rebel against the Lord. You used to identify yourself by your nation of origin, your culture, your appearance, your cause, your virtue signaling, your self-imposed morality, or your embrace of immorality. But something changed when you came to Christ. God made you alive in Christ. God made a new people out of separate nations. And now you are no longer darkness, but you are to be light. Now we're something new new. We're not a political party. Aren't you glad we're not a political party, by the way? You're not a social cause. You're not going to change the world by sinful means. Neither sinful oppression nor sinful rebellion is the way that Christians behave. We are to be the new people of God, saved only by the gospel, and with the gospel and the word of God to offer the world. What do you have to offer the world? It's the gospel and it's the word of God. If you try to offer the world anything other than those things, you're offering them less than your best. In Leviticus 19.15 tells us, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. So you know what? We will not favor the powerful. We will not sin for the sake of the oppressed. We will call all people we can meet to salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And we will call all people to surrender to the word of God in Jesus Christ. And we will see that everybody we know in Christ, regardless of their background, regardless of their ethnicity, we will see all of them as our own brothers and sisters in the family of God. See, God saved us in Jesus, and God has a new life for us in Jesus, and it's time, Christians, that we walk in that life. We walk as children of light because that is who God says we are. Now, let me add something to you here. There is a humility that needs to be ours as we consider this passage. Did you hear me? There is a humility that should be ours here. What were we before Christ again? What's that Greek word I gave you? We were dead. We remember we were darkness. We didn't come out of death and we didn't come out of darkness because we were good. The death and life of the Son of God was required to bring us out of death and darkness. And that should mean, Christian, that you do not think of yourself as better than anybody on planet earth. You are a sinner who has rebelled against the Almighty. You deserved hell, but you have Jesus as God's gift. That you now know right from wrong 
is God's gift. That you value anything that God values is God's gift. So do not ever let yourself be smug as you consider the truth that you know and how foolish the world looks around you. Because if there's anything good in you, or if there's anything good in me, it is only because that goodness was granted to us by God. And that humility should lead you to loving kindness. Can I just, can we just talk for a second? Don't be nasty to folks who don't get it. Aren't you guys just about sick of seeing people who claim the name of Christ just being nasty to other people? If you're not, you're probably doing it. Don't be nasty to people who don't get it. Don't be the ugly worded person on social media. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Now, I don't have any of you individually in mind, so if you think I'm picking on you, it's the Lord. Don't be nasty. There's no reason to be nasty. Don't be the disrespectful, violent, screaming person on the news. Speak the truth, yes. Speak the truth boldly, yes. Clearly, yes. Courageously, yes. Will the truth you speak ever offend? Yes. But don't you dare offend somebody else just because you're nasty. And don't you dare offend other people because you act like you think you're better than them. Who were you? Remember it. What is the gospel? Remember it. And that'll help you walk in light. Christian, who are you? If you think you're greater than others, you don't get it. But if you remember that individually you are a corpse God made alive, if you remember that you were hell-bound sinner rescued by Christ, then you can be able to walk worthy of your calling by walking in light. And you won't partner with the world. You won't partner with its thoughts. You won't partner with its values. You surely won't partner with its strategies. You will strive to learn and do that which pleases God Almighty. And it's written in his word. And if you remember the gospel, you will also remember that corporately, God brought you out of any former identity that you used to wear and made you part of one new nation, the people of God. If you remember the gospel, you will never be more committed to any cause or any people group or any political organization than you are committed to Jesus Christ. You will not be more committed even to your own earthly family than you are to Jesus. Because of the gospel, you are not defined by your nation, your look, your language, your poverty, your wealth, or your past. You are defined by the fact that God has made you part of the new people, the people of God. And let me again invite you, if you don't yet know Jesus, come to Jesus today. You have no hope without the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus says he is never going to lose anybody who comes to him in faith and repentance. So let's turn from sin, turn from self. Turn from thinking you know what's best. Turn from thinking you get to be the boss. 
run to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and plead with him to save your soul and make you new, and he will allow you to begin walking in light. Will you pray with me?